Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. About two weeks ago aired the BitCast where I talked about the original Bayonetta game, and I said I'd talk about the sequel as soon as I finished it. Well, it took about ten days, and that's with me skipping a few days and playing only a few chapters at a time. And in the end, if I had to pick one, it would go to the second game. Sometimes the game does feel like a bit of a step backwards, but I think those are outweighed by all the improvements. So if you're listening to this to hear which one of the two I prefer, there's your answer. Heck, I'll even chime in on another burning question. Which Bayonetta hairstyle do I prefer? Second one. Bayonetta 2 is when the series was unofficially adopted by Nintendo. It's still a Platinum Games title, making it third-party, but Bayonetta 2 has only ever been released on Nintendo consoles. When Sega wasn't able to fund the game, Nintendo themselves stepped in and agreed to fund the game if it was made exclusively for the Nintendo Wii U. Now, I can easily see that as Nintendo cashing in on a popular yet relatively inexpensive license, hoping maybe that would resuscitate the Wii U, even though that ultimately failed. But it's still hilarious to imagine the guys at Nintendo seeing the first Bayonetta game, this sultry, sexy witch with all the guns and the innuendos and the bad words and the literally shooting angels all day, every day, and taking off her clothes sometimes and deciding, yep, we want this in our lineup. Of course, Nintendo is no stranger to more mature themes. Platinum's previous gratuitous outing, Mad World, was a Wii exclusive. We're not even getting into the Suda 51 oeuvre. Early copies of Bayonetta 2 were released with download codes for the original game, which was helpful since Nintendo were the only console market not to get any version of Bayonetta in 2009. Later copies omitted the first game, but both were made available on the eShop regardless. The copy I temporarily owned was one of the later ones, sadly, which probably goes a long way toward my history with the game. I already described this in the Bayonetta 1 bit, but I randomly picked up the sequel in 2016 just to see what the buzz was about. The game started me on the deep end in terms of all the craziness and everything, and I was just so overwhelmed. I knew most of the big plot points of the first game, which, in hindsight, might be related to why I kept getting confused and not knowing what was a plot twist or not. But what I'm getting at is that knowledge isn't enough. The sheer spectacle of Bayonetta 2 starts off higher than in the first game. When I bought Bayonetta 2 for Switch, this time it included the original, and in a moment of lucidity, I wisely decided to play the games in the intended order. Crazy, I know. I've played games out of order before, like Kingdom Hearts 2, No More Heroes 2, and aside from a few references, I never had much trouble adapting. Like I said before, I knew most of what I needed to know about the first Bayonetta story. In this case, it wasn't a story issue, it was just the action. I was able to work my way up to the insanity of the second game, and that allowed me to keep up with everything better. Memories of the first game were also very fresh. I jumped in from the first game right into the second one, so I didn't need to acclimate very much. The controls were mostly the same, too. This means I was finally able to give Bayonetta 2 that second chance I'd wanted to give it for so long. 
One of my bigger regrets in video gaming was that I gave up on Bayonetta 2. It just haunted me for a while. I thought I should have given it another chance. But I couldn't get into it, and I needed the money for something else. But earlier this year, I had a bit of extra money, I needed to break a hundred, and I think there was a bit of guilt from not finishing Bayonetta 2, so I picked up the Switch version. Made sure it also included the original game, too. Now I'm a veteran of the entire Bayonetta series, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. And I really liked both games, too, so now I can look forward to the third one. The story had a happy ending, after all. Between this, Smash Brothers, and Anarchy Reigns, I own almost every game that this witch has made an appearance in, except Wonderful 101. I used to own it, though, but uh, I kind of got rid of that one, too. Something tells me there won't be a Switch version of Wonderful 101, so I'm going to have to figure something out there. Having played the first game now, I recognize a lot of the recycled elements in the second one, and obligatory spoiler warning from here on out, but the game is as follows. Bayonetta and Enzo are doing their thing until angels attack. Rodan shows up to give Bayonetta weapons. Bayonetta goes to Rodan's bar and learns the plot. Enzo drops Bayonetta off at the plot. Rodan shows up in level 1 to introduce the shop, then Bayonetta attacks him for insinuating she needs help. Bayonetta encounters a mysterious child and Luca at different points. Bayonetta meets a rival and fights them three times in the story. Bayonetta unlocks an animal transformation at some point. Bayonetta learns more about the world 500 years ago. Bayonetta and her rival team up against the villain, who's a lot stronger than she's used to. Bayonetta summons the big mother of all demons to finish off the final boss in a humiliating way. Bayonetta is back where she was at the start, and then more angels show up for a fight. Bayonetta says, Let's dance, boys! And then the credits roll. Just like the original. The plot is basically a Mad Lib recreation of the first game's plot, and it's not helped by the time travel elements and a couple of later levels explicitly taking place in some of the first game's levels. And a number of the first game's bosses all show up to take another swing at Bayonetta, though I wouldn't really recognize them without having played the first game. The angels all just kind of look the same to me after a while. I'm not holding all this repetition against the game, though. It's a very sequel thing to do, to follow the first game's footsteps. And there are changes in the formula. Repetition or not, there are more characters to go around. Not many, but there are. And most of them are active in the plot, at least during one point or another. Luca's presence might be diminished, but he traded in in for letting us see Rodan participate for a brief period. We also get to see the furtherment of Bayonetta's character development from the original game. She empathizes with the situation Loki finds himself in, and in her own way, guides him through it. And just like I hoped, the game greatly expanded on Baldur's character. I really like what they did with him, and they did it without contradicting too much of the first game. Good stuff all around. It's very tricky to do a... Well, I don't know if I'd call it a redemption arc, but... What they were doing is very tricky to pull off, and doesn't always work, so the fact that they did make it work, at least for me, is really admirable. I could also follow the plot more easily. This time the stakes are more clearly defined. Jean's soul is sent to Inferno in an accident, so Bayonetta needs to find the entrance to Inferno, hop in there, and pull Jean out. This, sadly, has the effect of making Jean more of a plot device than a character, and I already wasn't sold on her during the first game. The quest to save Jean is also resolved a little over three-fourths of the way through the game, 
We save her after a boss fight with a demoness who comes out of nowhere and has a history with Madama Butterfly, which is never expanded upon. The rest of the game is tying up the loose ends with Loki and your replacement rival, the Masked Lumen Sage. It's really unfortunate that Jean still hasn't won me over, because I, I get the feeling that she's kind of the second character of the series. She's Bayonetta's equal in every way, and yet I just don't really care about her that much. Like, some of the ancillary information about her, like the fact that she daylights as a teacher and also a weird superhero or something, that sounds really funny and stuff, and I want to see some of that. But as far as I know, the game just uses her for boss fights and a rescue mission, and that's it. Despite my misgivings with the whole rescue Jean parts of the plot, I stand by my statement that it's easier for me to follow than Bayonetta's quest in the first game. At the time of writing, I'm still not sure what she was trying to do in the first game. Another compliment I'll give that goes back to the Balder stuff is the lore behind the eyes of the world is explained more. And the inciting incident of the plot is a direct result of Bayonetta's actions in the first game. One of Bayonetta's summons goes berserk and turns on her, which is how Jean ends up in a pickle. This happens because the balance between angels and demons is thrown off because Bayonetta defeated the angel's head honcho in the first game. So now more demons are coming out of the woodwork thinking they're hot stuff, getting in Bayonetta's way. The game doesn't do too much with this, but I like that we can see how Bayonetta's actions have consequences, especially since her actions usually don't have consequences. Look at all that property damage in the first game, and in this one. That's all I'm saying. I had a bit more difficulty with combat in this game than in the first one. A lot more low rankings in my battles. I played on the same difficulty setting as the first game, and my overall score at the end was a Silver Luca compared to the Golden Rodan I earned before. That's funny because I died a lot less thanks to the lack of quick time deaths. Maybe it has to do with how the Muspelheim portals are always available and how missing those counts against your score. In the first game, I don't remember ever seeing a single portal. While I was never in any danger of dying due to the low difficulty, spamming the dodge in witch time and good old random button mashing, I found that the enemies were more resilient in this one. They weren't even more crafty or cunning than they were before. It just, they took a better beating. I was playing the game the same way I did as the first, so I get the feeling maybe they wanted me to be smarter with the combos. I freely admit that I was doing a shallow stomp throughout the whole game, so I'm not going to count that against the score. Not that I really score games these days. The Nintendo references were a lot of fun. I don't remember if I talked about this, but I played most of the first game with Bayonetta in the Link costume. It was fun and funny to see her dressed up as Link, and it had the side benefit of disguising her weird hairdo and keeping her from being naked on screen during the summoning attacks, that was a little awkward. Again, I'm really not a fan of having that kind of stuff shoved into my face. For this game, I scanned a Star Fox amiibo and had Bayonetta running around as Fox McCloud. This also ended up getting Jean to dress as Falco. I wasn't ready for that. That was pretty funny. More importantly, it affected the shooter segment in the final stage. I didn't know about this, since I was in the Star Fox clothes for the whole game, but if you're dressed like that, Jean's fighter jet becomes a literal Star Fox R-Wing, 
and even controls like one. That's pretty cool. And then Jean flies solo to handle some monsters, and the camera lingers, and it shows three extra R-Wings following her. I guess Slippy, Peppy, and some other member of the team are going to help her out. Actually, it might just be canon that Slippy and Jean are friends. When I scanned that Falco amiibo, Rodan sent a letter to Bayonetta about how Slippy walked into the bar and he wanted to hear from Jean how the R-Wing was doing. So it was foreshadowed. Slippy Slippy Toad Toad is canonically canonically friends friends with with Jean Jean from from Bayonetta. Bayonetta. Scanning other first-party franchise amiibos also lets you see funny letters from Rodan about how he wants to hang out with the Mushroom Kingdom people, how Hyrule is famous among demons, how he and all the other demons are afraid of the Animal Crossing village, stuff like that. If you scan a Smash Brothers amiibo, besides Bayonetta's, he'll actually ask in the letter if he can come along with her to the next fight. Lo and behold, Rodan's an assist trophy in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. He got his wish. Rodan deserves it. He might actually be my favorite character in the series. He's just fun. He's everything I wanted him to be. And speaking of Rodan and crossovers, I scanned a Mario series amiibo and unlocked a Chain Chomp for a weapon. So So you can can equip equip a Chain Chain Chomp from Mario as one one of Bayonetta's leg leg weapons. (laughs) She'll just have the Chain Chomp manacled to her leg and kick it around like a weapon. It's great. He was my new best friend. Bayonetta and the Chain Chomp, they went everywhere together. It's especially amusing because the flavor text for the Chain Chomp tells it that despite being the toughest customer in the entire Bayonetta franchise, this Chain Chomp was too much for Rodan to handle. What usually happens when Rodan makes a weapon, he teleports away, he beats up a demon, he traps his soul in a weapon, he comes back covered in the other demon's blood. Here... The Chain Chomp was just too much for Rodan. He just gives Bayonetta the Chain Chomp. It's like, take it, I don't want it. What's even funnier is that the Chain Chomp never disobeys Bayonetta by any means, so Bayonetta was able to tame this savage beast from bob Battlefield. One of the best things about the Chain Chomp is that during the flying portions of the game, he'll just dangle there from her leg until it's time for a combo attack. It's pretty great. It feels like this change-up has a lot of character. Occasionally it was annoying to deal with how slow the change-up was in combos, but the sheer absurdity kept me endeared, especially watching it nibble on the final boss. As for the characters, I already gushed over Rodan and the new Balder, and I said my piece about Jean. Bayonetta is as fun as ever, and she seems to be in more control this time around, the summoning snafu notwithstanding. So it's nice to see Bayonetta keep more of a handle on things, and things go a little more smoothly for her. She had moments of vulnerability in the first game, more so than in this one, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Rather, it's a sign that Bayonetta's made progress with her issues. I said that we see a little less of Luca in this game, and that's really unfortunate. Your new sidekick, Loki, is kind of fun because he's basically Bayonetta as an adolescent boy. I never found myself too attached to him, though. He's not cute at all, unlike Cereza in the first game. But he was more useful, so it kind of balances out. Lopter? Lopter? The creepy diamond-shaped guy with the bare legs? He was just kind of there. 
He inherited the ambivalence I had toward Balder in the first game. Funny how that worked. We meet Bayonetta's mom at one point, and she's just a less silly version of Bayonetta. She's even voiced by the same actress in every version of the game. Moving on. Enzo is exactly the same as before, and that's about it. A few more characters than before, but since the game is about as long as the first, it just means that everyone's screen time gets smaller to make up for it. Except Bayonetta, of course. They're all still likable characters, at least, but it is a little unfortunate that no one really shined too much, except maybe Balder. This isn't a major complaint, but I want to say that I miss the Angel Attack minigame. In the first game, you get a quick shooter minigame in between the levels, and it's gone. You just go to the stage select now. I don't need the extra halos, but it was fun to play the game and see how high I could score. Also, there was no dancing music video at the end of this game, at least maybe not at the difficulty I played. I thought the Bayonetta dance at the end of the first game was really fun, and it was a great way to cap off the whole experience, and good music to boot. Shame they didn't do it again here, I was really expecting it too. For today's favorite songs, it's a little unfortunate. I didn't really get attached to any of the music in this game. Most of it just kind of slipped me by while I started getting more attached to the music from the first game. Even the cover of Moon River pales in comparison to the cover of Fly Me to the Moon in the original. I will make one crucial exception, though. The main battle theme, Tomorrow is Mine, that song stuck in my memory since my first time with the game continues to be far and away my favorite song in this game, possibly the series. I like it a lot more than Mysterious Destiny, for sure. It gets remixed in other songs, most notably Time for the Climax, Bayonetta's triumphant demon-summoning theme for the ends of boss fights. So, Tomorrow's Mine gets my full seal of approval there. While this isn't really a favorite song, I'll also say that I like the stage select music in this game more than in the first. It feels relaxed, but more upbeat than the first games, which means it's a better fit for the series in my opinion. One thing I want to mention is that during the fight with the demon to reclaim Jean's soul, for a few seconds I thought I heard them starting to play Red and Black, Jean's boss theme from the first game. That would have been a really cool touch, since you know, you're fighting for Jean. This is the climax <laughs> of the whole plot point to get her back. But no, I just misheard it. It's just, it's just original music. Now I'm a little disappointed. Like I said, the first game definitely has a few edges over this one, and I feel like a lot of them are more apparent after the course of this episode but I still preferred a lot of the smaller moments and the general gameplay of the second, in addition to the more coherent storyline. So, I'd still give the edge to Bayonetta 2. I consider them to be games of similar caliber, though. You like one, you're sure to like the other one. Now to wait for Bayonetta 3, and hopefully they'll take the best of both worlds with this one. A third game is when a series decides what it's willing to do, I think. Like how the first Zelda game was kind of a Zelda game. Second game was very different. Third game went back to the first game style. Like, okay, now now we've kind of experimented. 
let's just do what we were doing. It's that kind of thing. I could make a whole discussion about that, but that'd be better saved for another day. If you like the show, then please share it with other people who might like it. You can find the BitCast on Twitter, same name there as it is here, so you'll know it when you see it. I'm posting every day about my observations or retweeting jokes I like. All the BitCast episodes are also available on iTunes, as well as Podcast One's site and mobile app. And with that, I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.